0: You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. We're in James uh, chapter 6, uh, getting very, very close to the end of this book, Uh James five. Uh, we're, we're real close to the end of James six. James six looks a whole lot like First Peter one. Right under in in my in my Bible, right under chapter five, there's the number six. So that that's the confusion. Thank y'all for correcting me, though, because I would have no telling how badly I would have gotten off if y'all hadn't. Stepped in at the appropriate time and made sure that everything was correct. We're gonna to go to James chapter five, beginning in verse chapter, verse, chapter, chapter five, verse seven. It's getting worse. I meet up with it. I don't know what I got, but I meet up with it for sure. Man. Too much sugar. That's right. That's it. We'll wait for whoever's coming in to come in because there she comes. Hi, Sherry Ann. We're somewhere in the Bible, in some chapter, in some verse. Good luck, because I've messed it up so badly. You're probably going to find it faster if I don't say anything else. I'm in that part all the time. You're in that part? Okay, good. James chapter 5, verse 7. Here we go. Be patient, therefore. Now, we've got to stop because there's a therefore, we need to understand what he's talking about. He's had the conversation that we discussed last week where he's talking about the oppression of the poor by the rich. Uh, it almost got hurtful last week uh, when he's talking about some of these things, but he's, uh, I think I think Mark in particular was bothered when I was talking about this. Are you, uh, you know, do you do you eat to live or do you live to eat? I didn't know until afterward that that bothered Mark because he, because he told me after, he said, yes, I'm, I live to eat. Uh, and then somebody said they'd pray for him. I don't know who it was. but He's saying now, yeah, <laughs> he's saying now to those who are poor, those who have been oppressed, those to whom they're, work was not recognized, their work was not valued. He's addressing those and saying to that, to that oppressed group, be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. <clears throat> Doesn't that sound like a long wait? Be patient until the coming of the Lord. If I were to just simply make that, to the, be patient until the Lord's return, to the day when the trumpet sounds and when he comes out of heaven and riding on the, the back of this horse, King of kings and Lord of lords, if I make it that day, then we're all the, the, the announcement is be patient because you're still going to be oppressed for that long. What has stopped our oppression, all of it? What stopped our oppression? Well, first of all, we recognize that it was by the coming of Jesus Christ and him delivering us, for him setting us free, for the righteousness that we now, that we now live in. But what, bring, what allows me to live unoppressed every day? Oh, the Lord came. The spirit of the Lord came. What actually stops it in the promise, what actually stops it in me, because James is speaking to them in profound ways. I don't know the exact timing of this. I wish I did. Uh, I I wish I knew a bit more precisely than this announces. Uh, The estimation is that, that James wrote this in 45 AD, which would put it, I guess, approximately... 12 to 15 years after the crucifixion. That seems like a long time for us now, but my suspicion is that when most of life stayed concentrated, you you weren't, families didn't spread out as quickly and those kind of things. My suspicion is that the familiarity of Pentecost stayed very concentrated for a long time. So the things that James is announcing are things that James had witnessed James had seen the coming of the Holy Spirit, had seen the transformation of what the Spirit came to bring. He makes this kind of announcement. Be patient, therefore, to this group that has been oppressed. Brethren, unto the coming of the Lord, behold, the husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth and and hath long patience for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. We know the early and the latter rain. One was to bring the prosperity of the crop, The second rain that came in the spring, the first rain came in about November. The second rain came in the spring, and it made the fruit quickly explode. I mean, it just would quickly develop with the second rain. So he's saying, your weight on equity, your weight on perspective, your weight in the Lord. It's like I used this illustration last night. We talked about it in the the board. Uh, in, the, in the Bible, it was talked about the board meeting and talked about it last night in the Bible study. Uh, Lacey, you a car guy? You a fast car guy? Is your wife a fast car girl? <laughs> You're fast? Yes. You're a fast woman in a car? My car is fast. Oh, your car's fast? Okay. Well, so I'll just use you in this illustration. If I called you and said, "Shelly, I've got this new vet. It's been modified. I need a driver, and I got hundred miles of straight road." You set down in the car. What are you going to do? I'm going to drive fast. Yeah, how are you going to do it? What's required? Put the pedal to the. Metal. Put the pedal to the metal. Hit, put it to the floor. I use the illustration because we live in the favor of God, but we've never tested the boundaries of it. We've never seen what the favor of God would really do. I told him last night we live as like chickens pecking, looking for a blessing. When we live in the very favor of God, and he says, just get in the favor of God, put it on the floor, and let's see where this thing will go. Different perspective. But we're afraid to. We're afraid we'll run to the edge of that favor so quickly. But what's the evidence that it won't happen? Oh, I got one good marker. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. What does that say about the favor of God? I don't know how to get to the edge of that. He gave us himself to live in us. How do I find the edge of that favor? When he gave us his spirit to indwell me so that I'm no longer limited by my capacity, but now have his that lives in me. That's some pretty good evidence that I can drive really fast and never find the edge. But we don't live routinely, regularly, as if we understood the favor of God. Most of us have rarely tested it to see just how good it really is. And and what, what what I can hear James telling this group, the favor of God that you have imagined to be held in the wealthy, and you've assigned the favor of God because they're wealthy. They, that means they are in the favor. I'm telling you right now, when, when, when God comes and is real in your story, you have the same favor of God. That may not look the same. It will never look the same for any two of us. Because God knows me according to what he's made and formed in me in the fullness of all that that looks like. He knows how to, he knows how to bring that particularly to me. And it will, the favor of God on me may not look like the favor of God on you. I love that. What does this stop? What's the point in comparing? If we recognize the uniqueness of God to bring the favor of God and the fullness of God through each, each one of us separately, but then as a body collectively, why would I compare? What would be the point? James is telling this group of people who have been so discouraged, who have been so left out, so neglected, so made use of, he's saying the day comes when the dynamic of what will change it arrives. That's God. He will change your story. What do we get to testify of today? It's true. Changed our story. I once was, but what? Now I am. I was this, now I'm this. I was talking to Andrew yesterday about them being out here and it's the first time I've had a chance to meet with him since they shared on that Sunday morning and we're kind of reviewing and talking about some of this stuff. And he said, I'm amazed now how many men coming out of the woodwork saying, okay, I want to know the trick here. I want to know how you did this. How did did this so completely... Absolutely reverse the order of your life. And his answer is, I didn't do a thing. I can't make a claim. I can't take you through 10 steps. All I can introduce you to is the Holy Spirit. And they're saying, oh, come on. No, that's it. It's the Spirit of God. And I told him, I said, and Andrew, I said, you're going to realize very quickly that, that people are going to come to you And they're going to ask you about this transformation and their story is not going to sound anything like yours. The details of their story is going to be like, why are you coming to me? I don't have a story like that. There was no drugs involved. There was no this involved. There was nothing like this involved. And I said, the reason that they're going to send you is your testimony is not necessarily built around the wrong things you were doing. Your testimony is built around the fact that you were and now you are. That's the testimony. You can change the details a thousand times, but the testimony is that by the transforming power of God, I used to be, but I'm not now. And I'm even learning that he's got more in store for me. He already sees what I don't see, and I'm learning in grace to walk in the fullness of all that he shows me. I love that concept. I hope hope that you're as excited about it as I am. This realization that I'm not becoming a child of God. I am a child of God. I'm just simply learning how to walk as a child of God. I'm not not becoming a joint heir with Christ. I am a joint heir with Christ. I'm simply learning now how to walk as a joint heir with Christ. That's a whole new dynamic of life. I'm not becoming anything. I'm learning to to walk as that which I already am. That's powerful. He's not trying to do some work in me. He's trying to get me to realize the work he's already done in me and walk in the fullness of it. Verse 8, be ye also patient. Established in your hearts, for the the coming of the Lord draws nigh. We struggle over this a little bit. This, This conversation comes up at the hands of Paul, it comes up here at the hands of James, it comes up in the hands of Peter. In the conversation that he's telling this group, and I've heard preachers preach on this forever. Well, they didn't know when Jesus was going to come, so they were telling that he was going to come back quickly. And so it was really just an error on their part in the assumption that Jesus was going to come quickly. They thought he was going to. They were reassuring the people with the promise that he was going to come quickly. Does that hold good water? I've made it hold water for a long time. It's All of a sudden, it feels like the bucket's leaking. Is that good truth? Let's read it again. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord draws nigh. It's near. Who is saying these words? Who's, Who's authoring these words? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. You think the Holy Spirit was confused? You think the Holy Spirit thought, "I'm just going to tell them. I don't want to tell them Jesus is coming soon." And here we are, nineteen hundred plus years later, two thousand years later. It's like I don't think the Holy Spirit got a really good concept of time to tell these people that the, that the Lord's coming soon. But he did come soon. Absolutely. You see, what what really does hold water for me is if if I'm going to establish my heart, it's not going to be in the hope of of something happening that I can't attach to. If I'm going to establish my heart, I'm going to establish my heart in something that that has occurred or occurring. So again, if I don't put this in context and realize that James is writing this so soon after Pentecost that he witnessed He watched the coming of the Holy Spirit. He received the Holy Spirit himself. If I didn't realize that, I I, I wouldn't fully grasp what James is trying to tell them. Because I love today being able to tell somebody that your life will drastically change upon your receiving that which God has already freely given to you, given you the Spirit of God. That's a great... That's a great announcement to anybody. It's a great announcement even following the great announcement of salvation that I can tell somebody, you know, again, it's just so fun visiting with this young man. That I'm not going to call his name again, but you know who I'm talking about. To be able to, to tell him, you do realize now you'll never die. And he, he looks at me kind of funny because this is all new to him. You will never die like the life you now live, the life that's being lived through you is an eternal life, an everlasting life. It won't ever stop. It's blowing its mind to even conceptually believe that life will never be over because it removes some of the things that we unfortunately fear the most. I believe James is announcing to them that the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Spirit of God will transform your lives now. Because I, 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 I can believe that because I've watched it happen. Verse 9. Grudge not one, one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge stands before the door. So there's a, he, James is basically announcing this prohibition. Against judging others. We talk about this one a lot already. What's the point? What's the point of judging someone? It's going to be wrong. I had that conversation with a lady this morning. And uh, she was just asking some questions about some things. And I said, okay, what's the likelihood that that assessment is actually correct? And she said, oh, I forgot. She said, it's not right, is it? And I said, No. Why would you be disturbed by an an unverified report that didn't come from the Holy Spirit? Why would you be upset? at something that was not spiritually founded because all you're dealing with is somebody's opinion, a perspective. Is Is it important? Should you listen? Yes. But you don't frame it in fact. You frame it in information. Very different. Very, very different. So James is telling them, because what would be the likelihood if you have been oppressed for a long time? And I'm now announcing to you that there's going to be, by the, by the goodness of God, there's going to be favor brought to you. What would always be the potential for those who have been oppressed? Man, it could, could very quickly form this grudge. Because when they knew the, the hierarchy like in the Old Testament, when they knew their place, they didn't even imagine that their lives would be different than what it is right now. I'm a servant. I'm a slave. This is the place that I hold. There's no anticipation that I would ever change my status in life. I'm here. They are the master over my life. They tell me what to do each day. I go do what I do, and I have accepted that. I live in that position all the time. But now somebody's told me that I'm, by what's happening inside me, by what's actually happening in this new kingdom, there's going to be a different perspective. There is immediately that chance when you tell somebody that you can be different, that they would hold a grudge against the ones who had formerly held them there. And James is saying, "Uh uh-uh, don't do it. Don't judge those who have oppressed you. Don't judge those who have been evil and ugly and hurtful and using you. Do not hold a grudge. Again, why? What's the practical value of that instruction? Because who is the grudge going to hurt? Yeah, it's going to hurt you. And and that's basically what it says. Grudge not one against another. Brethren, lest you be condemned. What's going to happen? You start the grudging. You're going to, there's going to be condemnation. You're not going to be able to avoid it. If we have any sensitivity about us at all, and I'm trusting that for the most part in this room, people have some sensitivity. If you don't have any sensitivity, would you raise your hand? I want to make sure I know who I'm not talking to. If you have any sensitivity at all when you're cruel, when you're angry, when you're bitter, something hurts inside you as well. That's why this freedom is so powerful. We get to live free because I don't have to worry what somebody did to me yesterday. I don't have to worry about what they said. I don't have to worry about their opinion. I considered it, gained all the value I could out of it, and then let it go. I don't have to let it come with me into today. Don't be condemned. Behold, the judge stands before the door. Who is the judge? Who's the only one who can do it? It's God. And by the way, he's not going to judge you. He's going to judge the the true evil one. Verse 10, Take, my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. He's saying, you heard that that story of Job? Yep, we heard it. He said, how did the story end? That's that's what he means when he says, you have seen the the end of the Lord. You've seen the end of the Lord in Job's story, is what he's saying. What, What did the Lord do? He blessed him. He restored all. So James is, is saying, "There is someone in this story that you can trust. If you let the grudge build, if you let the bitterness build, you will, by the very nature of that hurdle, cut yourself off from the one who has a great end for you. You will build a restriction, and you, and, and, the, and all that the, this God has that, that has for you, you, it will become a restriction to you. So James is speaking to them in very practical terms. So you have, have you been oppressed? Yes. Have you now received something that is going to dynamically change your life? Yes. Let that which has dynamically changed you do its work. Isn't it wonderful for you and I to know that if I will let the Holy Spirit be God He does a remarkable job of it. He's so good at it. He he loves what he gets to do. What does he get to do? He gets to bring you truth and watch you take in that revelation and be transformed. Who wouldn't love that job? He gets to come and tell you about the one who loved you so much that he would die. He gets to come tell you that. He gets to bring you and show you that. I sat at lunch with somebody today and he said, "I I can go back to some times in my life where the manifestation of God's love overwhelmed me. Who wouldn't love getting to be the Holy Spirit? What a great job, a great privilege, a great responsibility to get to be God in us. I think that would be pure wonder to watch the transforming power. So what does he simply want from us? Let him let him do it. Let him do what he does. Let him be God in us. I taught last night on the reciprocal nature of our relationship with God. I, I, I was speaking from 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. Anybody know what it says? I made such an impression last time. Such a deep impression. Yeah. We, we, we all remember the banana pudding. We don't remember 1 John 4, verse 19. That's right. There you go. We know what it says. We know it very well. First of all, how how do we know that God loves us? Because what? He first loved us. You see the reciprocal nature? And I was telling them, God will never expect anything from you that he hasn't first given to you. If he expects goodness from you, what is he going to do first? Give goodness to you. Because he won't expect anything from you that has to originate in you. He's only going to expect from you those things he's given to you by his spirit. If he's going to expect courage, what's he going to give you? Courage. If he's going to expect love, he's going to give you love. There's never going to be a moment when he's going to expect anything from you that he hasn't first given to you. That is liberating truth. Why would I fear to give away that which he first? gave me he's not even expecting me to to give anything of myself he's simply asking me to give that which he first gave me that's a wonderful picture of this reciprocal nature christ in me me in christ that's what jesus said i'm in the father father's in me wow really good picture Really good pictures. James is beginning to explain this, talk about this, bring this to a reality where they would know, don't let anything, don't let any bitterness, don't let anything form in you because of the former days. Those former days have been severed from you. Walk. Let your heart be established now in that which God has done. Verse 12. But above all things, interesting phrase, by, by my brethren, Swear not, basically saying don't make any kind of an oath, neither by heaven nor by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Practical. Why would he say it? Why is it necessary that my yea be yea and my nay be nay? That's valuable. But I am also an ambassador. You know, Graham Cook mentioned this in one of, the, one of the knots he was talking. He said, we are walking advertisements. Believe that? What are we advertising? God. Or... Jesus. Or... Us. <laughs> yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be advertising something. One of the things I, I love in this reality of, that God is allowing me to discover on an ongoing basis is the reality of who the Holy Spirit is. And I can't imagine the Holy Spirit's, yay, sometimes being something else. Or the Holy Spirit's, nay, sometimes being something else. If my yay is yay and my nay is nay, it's because not because I am suddenly become very certain of the yeses and very certain of the noes. If my yay is going to be yay and my nay is going to be nay, it's because I know somebody. I'm not coming to that conclusion on my own. I'm coming to that, that reality because somebody has told me yes, and someone has told me no. Years ago. We had a situation where we were asked to do something, and our answer was yes. So when we got questioned about it, like, why don't you do it? What's the only answer I could give? Because God said, yes, yes. What did that take care of? If God said yes, what did that take care of? Take care of everything. The provision came with the yes. All the patience, all the love, all the kindness, all the tenderness, everything came packed in the yes. What if I wondered if if there was a yes? What comes with that questionable yes? What's going to come with that questionable yes? What do you think? A little bit of doubt, a little bit of confusion, a little bit of uncertainty when things got hard. A little bit, I wish I hadn't. Maybe I shouldn't. A little regret. All that door gets opened when you when you don't know that the yes is yes that originates in Him, or the no is no that originates in Him. Because sometimes God really does say no. That was a, that was an amazing discovery because in the Christian world I grew up in, it was only one answer, yes. Very strange when I I discovered the Spirit of God that no was a legitimate answer. Like how did that work? We live in the uncertainty of some of our yeses and we live, it seems strange that that Christians knowing this, believers knowing this, should live in a great deal of freedom and a great deal of faith and assurance, but we live in as much confusion and regret and uncertainty as the rest of the world because we didn't discover the yes. So we're functioning in a maybe yes and a maybe no, and, and, and it, it's riddled with regret. Verse 13, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith shall shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he've committed sin, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. What's the key word as we as we go back into this? Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders. What's the ingredient, the component ingredient in each one of these? It's pray, but um, there's a there's a, a, a one unspoken in this. There's one. There's a truth that lays under each and under all this. What is it? Offensive. Do what? It's an offensive move. Mm-hmm. I <coughs> I'm going to make a statement, and it's going to. It really is coming from a great deal of research that I have made up to prove my point here. Big study charts, all unbelievable, that I made up so that I could prove my point. Uh, I'm still convinced that prayer in the Christian church is the mystery. I don't think we know it well. We do a lot of it, we call on each other and do a lot of it. I read this, and I ask myself, why is that not happening? And the prayer of, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And he, if and he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one another. Pray for one another, that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Lacey, what are the key ingredients in that? You, you said, and you, you included a powerful word, the word from in the scripture. You prayed in faith. You prayed with, without the question mark. You prayed from his will, which we often rarely seek. So we pray according to ours and rarely don't consult his and wonder why the prayers we thought were fervent weren't effectual. Well, I can't pray outside of the will of God. I can't pray outside of the Holy Spirit's giving me that will. But I'm still pretty sure I read this and I'm challenged. I read this and I want to get in to this prayer life and I want to put it on the floor and I want to see where it'll go. One of the most exciting things about my life, my life of faith, my life in relationship, my faith in intimacy, is God speaking to me in ways that I've never heard before or never considered before. Because one of those reciprocal things that I shared last night was that I will never adore God until I know that he adores me. I can't give him back what he hasn't first given to me. We don't think in those terms. God adores you. He thinks you're something else. No, he knows you're something else. He made you. He formed you. He adores you. And out of that adoration he has for you, I can recognize and adore and offer that adoration right back. If we don't have that intimacy, if we don't know that God, our expectations of him are greatly altered. We don't know that intimacy. I was so amazed. And some of y'all heard that too. And it's like, oh, yeah, come on. I heard it when Graham Cook said, I don't remember the last time I worried. He said, I know it's been 20 years. What? That you can, we can actually live in the favor of God knowing that he adores us, knowing that his love is perfect toward me that, and that, that love that he shows to me He gives so abundantly through me that that love removes all Worry, man. Let's read this. This last couple of this, the postscript, brethren. If any of you do err from the truth, and one and one convert him, let him know that he which converts the sinner from the, from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Wow. That's a mouthful. Let me read it again. Let him know that he which converts the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. The one who deals with the sinner does not hide his own sins, but the sins of the one converted. Here is an inspired encouragement to the soul winner. Do you realize, again, interesting, just in a a recent experience of someone being converted, someone being saved, to be able to tell them that every sin ever committed by you has now been separated from you. Past ones, present ones, future ones. Mind-blowing. Multitude of sins. I think, I don't know what James's full intention was, but I can't help but believe at the end of this conversation that he's had with those to whom he's writing this and speaking, is that I would hope that recognizing that you have been oppressed, but now you're free, I would hope that you would recognize the freedom that you're experiencing and tell someone else because that freedom that you've received from the multitudes of sins that you already know because you're the one telling them, you've already experienced what you're telling them that they're going to experience. If I don't know, however, what righteousness really means and that my multitude of sins has already been covered, I will not speak to someone else about it. If we don't correctly understand that my multitude of sins that's being promised here would happen if, I, if, some, if I'm involved in the conversion of someone, that, that their sins, their multitude of sins have been converted, how would I, why would I be able to tell somebody that? Because it's already happened to me. That becomes much easier to tell when we've experienced it ourselves. But if I, if, if I marginalize that truth of righteousness and believe somehow that my sins are still being held against me, they're not, really de- they're not really dead, they're not really destroyed. That my sin, that former sin that, that he took to the cross, that he died so that that death would, would lose its power, it would lose its sting. If I still try to resurrect that death, and I will be very hesitant to tell anybody about the freedom that I've encountered because I won't believe it for myself. But if I know, and I know that I know, that I have been set free, It will be very, very difficult to stop me from telling somebody else that I can see in bondage how to receive that freedom for themselves. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.